So I was that person that had the strict budget. I had a savings for when I was going to have a child. I had that like perfect score at the banks. So I had everything kind of in control and I liked that. You've got to be a bit of a risk taker to launch your own business, right? But that wasn't Lucy Sloan, at least not until eight years ago when a fall down the stairs upended her entire life. She had no choice but to give up that sense of control. I think that actually played a big part in becoming an entrepreneur is you kind of have to be okay (laughs) with things not going well and being broke for a little bit, right? Welcome to Here's How It's Done, brought to you by the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba, the go-to place for women looking to start or expand their businesses. I'm your host, Kate Friesen. It's the 10th edition of this podcast, and there is one thing I can tell you for sure. All the enterprising women that have shared their stories here have created businesses that work with the life they want to lead. And they're willing to take some risks because they don't want to compromise that. Sometimes it's because of an expected change, like motherhood. Sometimes there isn't any work that fills the bill for them, so they create their own. And sometimes it's because life has thrown up a roadblock that completely changes the entire direction. That's what happened to Lucy when a severe concussion left her unable to work. I didn't feel like I could go back into the career I was in before. I wasn't sure what my brain would, where it would heal. I didn't know what would happen. So I had to kind of develop my new identity and who I wanted to be. Lucy figured if she started her own business, she could be the one setting the pace and calling the shots. And that's when she turned her farmyard near St. Malo, Manitoba, into a -a one-of-a-kind animal-assisted therapy facility called Lil Steps Wellness Farm. On this episode, you will find out how Lucy built partnerships instead of competing for business, how she learned hard lessons in setting prices for services, diversified long before COVID called for pivoting, and how she defines success in business. Get ready to be inspired and fired up to take your own enterprise to the next level. When I turned into the driveway of the farm, the first thing I noticed were two miniature horses hanging around outside the office that's attached to the family home. Their names are Peanut and Sweetie. Then I make my way to the small barn at the back of the property. That's where I'm meeting Lucy. I walk by a curious goat, some very vocal geese and chickens, and a pig named Wilbert. All rescues. At Little Steps Wellness Farm, Lucy and her staff work with children, youth, and adults experiencing mental health challenges like anxiety, depression, and ADHD. And all these animals are valued members of the wellness team. So keep that picture in mind, and you probably won't be too surprised when you find out who Lucy looked up to as a role model when she was growing up. Oh, okay. So one of my biggest role models growing up was Jane Goodall. I think she's one of the only people in the world that's ever gotten a PhD without having a master's. So she gained her education through experience. That struck a chord with me because I was never um, a super academic type 
uh, my brain's just not built to be in a classroom. <laughs> my brain is built to learn through experience. And uh, so Jane Goodall, she went right into, you know, like into Africa. Everything that she's done is going to be engraved in our history. And she did that just by being in the moment with the chimpanzees and learning about them and watching them. So that's who I wanted to be when I was a little girl. I love that she had this freedom to be in nature and with animals and just be part of it, become part of their world. But you didn't do that. You didn't go off to the jungle. Nope. <laughs> I have been to Africa, but that was later on in my life. <laughs> you feel like the classroom is not your best learning right. space, mm-hmm. uh, but you did go into university. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. But it's interesting. I, I lacked a lot of confidence going into university. My averages were always in the like, 2.5 to 3, which is like in the C plus to, to, to B plus range. That was kind of my, my max. Although when I went into psychology, which is what my major was, I realized that once I loved learning what I was learning about, I did well. So I kind of learned that when I had passion in what I was learning, it came natural. But the whole being in a classroom in a box, I was very much a hands-on learner. I need to learn by doing And I really noticed that I loved the counseling aspect, the kind of meeting with people and really having that gift of being part of someone else's world. It's the Jane Goodall piece, right? And um, learning about them and, and seeing things from their perspective and kind of helping them grow, walking along with them as they grew. Um, I love doing that. I love to learn. (laughs) So there's a turn that happened. It's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. Um, Where were you before this turn that changed your world? I had spent about 11 years as a probation officer. um, And then I went into community mental health. And I would say that my life was very much, I like to have a sense of control in my life. So I was that person that had the strict budget. I had a savings for when I was going to have a child. I was never in debt. (laughs) I had that like perfect score on, on, at, at the banks. And uh, so I had everything kind of in control and I liked that. It gave me a sense of, um, it kind of relieved some of that anxiety piece, right? Um, Yeah. And then about eight years ago, I ended up having a pretty major head injury, which pretty much turned my entire life upside down, Um, took away everything who I thought I was and, and basically took away my identity, which was a pretty tough thing to go through. It was just a simple fall down my stairs, fell backwards and I hit the back of my head and uh, ended up going to the hospital later because um, I got diagnosed with post-concussion syndrome. So that lasted for a good kind of two years, um, all of these symptoms going on. So two years, Mm -hmm. like what did life look like and how was it different? Um, so basically like the post-concussion syndrome, um, gave me kind of a number of symptoms. I think one of the hardest, well, there was a few hard ones, <laughs> was about a year and a month worth of full migraines. Um, so I had to, I got special glasses made. Um, I had hit the occipital part of my brain. Um, so I had some double vision happening. Also memory loss. That's still sometimes here. We have a going joke with a lot of my clients. I always talk about how my phone's my brain, but I'm constantly saying to my clients and my staff, remind me, send me a text, remind me. So I've, I've learned to adapt with my my lack of memory. And just that it was really hard to multitask. And 
as a woman, as a mother, multitasking was essential, right? When you're taking care of two really young kids, the house, um, you know, even just cooking a meal would bring on a migraine. So um, the other big uh, symptom that was really difficult was I started uh, developing pretty major anxiety. Um, So I started having random panic attacks in different places and uh, just going through that whole world of anxiety, which was really tough because I was a person that liked control in my life. So this really took me for a loop. And what kept you going at this point? How did the healing happen or what kept you going? When you're at a loss and you lose, you see things differently. Um, you see the world a bit differently, right? So I'd go for a walk in my in my forest every single day. And I would say, um, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I said that every single day, probably 10 to 20 times a day. And every time I said it, it meant something different. So I tried to pay attention to it. I tried to really be mindful of, of what does my life look like. And I was giving up that sense of control. And that was actually fantastic for my life. I think that what actually played into a big part in becoming an entrepreneur is you kind of have to be okay (laughs) with things not going well. So, and, and being broke for a little bit, right? (laughs) So the other beautiful moment that came in there was, um, I purchased these two miniature horses, uh, peanut and sweetie. So, um, when the kids were off to school, the only thing I can really do is just be with them. So I would hang out with the horses. I'd go into their little shelter and I'd sit with them and I'd spend hours just being with them. Um, I kind of realized that when you're in the moment and when you're with horses, there's this peace and this comfort and this nature around you, like all of these healing principles, just natural healing principles that happen. So when I started to do research into it, I started to realize, ah, there's actually some science behind this. Being around a horse's brain actually shifts your brain a little bit too, right? It allows you to be more in the moment and changes some of the neural pathways within your brain. So from there, I started realizing, well, maybe I can integrate this into my world, into my business world. Um, Because I didn't feel like I could go back into the career I was in before. I wasn't sure what my brain would, where it would heal. I didn't know what would happen. So I had to kind of develop my new identity and who I wanted to be. So I think it was a bit of a gift, but yeah. Wow. So I can imagine there was that moment that you maybe researched this Mm -hmm. and you went, oh, there's a relationship between my being with these horses and all these other skills that I have. Yes. The helping aspect, the fact that I just love helping people. I, I love being part of other people's growth. I think that's fantastic and that it's so natural. I mean, there's a whole bunch of scientific basis to it. But that whole just being around animals allows us to be in the moment. It allows us to feel good about ourselves. We're accepted by them. They don't judge. Um, There's just so many pieces to it that's so therapeutic. So you're here with these two miniature horses. Mm -hmm. You still have two little kids. Mm -hmm. You're still recovering. Mm -hmm. How did that lead to a business? (laughs) So I started to look at the fact that, you know, I had the miniature horses. I have I have this 10 acres kind of on my farm. I just started to think about like how can I help other people who experience like specifically anxiety, but a lot of other mental health difficulties. Um, so I started kind of collecting animals. <laughs> Mini horses are pretty darn cute. So I ended up with, I think, 10 <laughs> and uh, two miniature fainting goats and a pig. So um, created kind of this farm and... 
Um, then developed like a business plan along with it, um, looked at different aspects of how I could potentially make money in this in this area, um, which most people told me it's going to be really hard to, <laughs> but I have, so that's great. Um, Let's back yeah. up to that business plan yeah. for a minute. So that can be a really daunting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the pieces that was probably pretty intimidating was going to the banks. I got rejected by a couple banks. I, I know that there was a couple banks that looked at me and said, this is never going to happen. And, you know, I'm sure they laughed at me when I walked out the door. <laughs> That's how I felt, at least. Um, but then I went to uh, the case, actually, in my town, and they were so supportive. And they thought outside the box, just like me, um, in terms of ways I can make make finances. So meeting with the bank and being able to talk about those pieces was very helpful. Um, I happened to have a brother-in-law that was in accounting. And so he has that type of brain that can think crunch numbers. So he helped a lot with the business plan. And then what I did is I actually went around to other businesses that do similar things with equine work. And I, and I started to network. So I started to network with people um, that are in this line of work and getting a sense of what's working for them. And what do they find are helpful? Um, so I really kind of got my feet wet and started to to kind of interview people who had businesses like this. So when you would reach out to other businesses who were doing similar things, were people willing to share? And was there any uncomfortable feelings of competition? Like just mm-hmm. thinking about other people who might want to reach out and do something like that. So what I did is I kind of randomly called the business up, <laughs> ask if I can meet with them. But I always, I always prefaced it with... Um, I'd love to know more about what you do so I can kind of either compliment it or like, so as an example, there was um, a business that does some equine work uh, south of me. And we kind of had this thing after we talked that, you know, she would do more work with teens and I would do more work with 12 and under originally when I started the business. So I tried to figure out how I could kind of align myself with the other businesses so we could actually help each other grow. Um, So that was a piece that I tried to do. So it wasn't this like competitive view. It was more like aligning and figuring out how we can actually help people. And I have that same mentality too. I love when people come here and sit down and I have a cup of coffee with them and I'll give them tons of business advice because I have this belief system that the more we help others, the more they're going to help us. And it's just going to be a big circle and come around. Right. So, mm -hmm. so you've got a business loan. Mm-hmm. From your local bank. Yes. Yes. Which was fantastic. Yeah. And you are developing a network of support. Mm-hmm. Think back, was there a moment when you went, okay, this is going to work? You know, I just always had that mentality. I, I, you I never questioned it's, it's it. Funny, it's <laughs> funny. I, I probably should. My partner, who's fantastic, gets me to question things more now because I am a little impulsive. I tend to be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it 110% and this is it. Right? So it is good to step back, I think, and see. That is something that I would recommend people to do. But to tell you the truth, I just always thought, it doesn't matter. It's going to be successful. So I, I just went out looking for that, right? So you put it out there and with confidence and you look in that direction, how you can make it work. And it just seems to work. That was a huge piece too, is that I had to ask my question, what do I do well here? And how can I, how can I build on that? So that's why we've actually moved more in the direction of kind of specializing in the field of anxiety, um, because that's what we do do really well. So I think that's a piece is really learning to specialize in what you do and doing it well, because that's what, that's what people end up telling others about then. Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. So you found your niche Mm -hmm. and you also made some choices to diversify. Mm -hmm. 
Now, there's two ways that that happens. For me, sometimes that happens because someone calls me up and they go, do you do this thing? And I'm thinking, well, I haven't done that thing, but that thing sounds like it's right down my alley. And then, sounds familiar. <laughs> and then there's this sort of stepping back and going, oh, you know, mm-hmm. maybe I should diversify. Can you talk to me about that decision, whether that's um, a methodical decision mm-hmm. for you or whether it's more of the spur of the moment? Do you know, I think in the beginning of the business, I definitely intentionally diversified in certain ways. So I tried to look at kind of like, where would my funds be coming in from? Like if I wasn't getting certain contracts here, then at least I have an income coming in. I remember thinking, oh, I'll have a bit of a breeding program. You know, I'll breed miniature horses and I'll breed this. But then I realized with time, there's many, many animals out there. We don't need necessarily more breeding. Uh, I started rescuing then the animals because they all come with their own stories and their own personalities. And so, yeah, it changed. As I learned, it kind of changed. Being diverse definitely has something is something that I've done for six years. It is something I think I've done probably 50% consciously (laughs) and the other 50% kind of like you were talking where someone brings up an idea and I'm like, that's fantastic. (laughs) I'm going to build on that, right? So when you describe to somebody what you offer Mm -hmm. and the diversity of your services... Kind of in a nutshell, right? Yeah, you know, that (laughs) dreaded elevator pitch. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, I usually start off by saying I provide kind of a number of different services, right? So as a wellness farm, that's kind of like an umbrella to a few different services. So I provide, you know, animal-assisted individual services to kids and teens, um, a number of different workshops and programs. The day camps, those are my really popular pieces in the summer. They're always super full, (laughs) usually the same kids coming back, which is always a great thing. More recently with the whole uh, COVID world and kind of re-looking at things, I've developed some kind of online pieces as well. So I have also a product line, uh, like sensory tools that also um, connect with my children's storybook that I created which also connects with some programs. So (laughs) it is a complicated answer. (laughs) Between all of them, what's the common thread? The common thread is increasing positive mental well-being through the stories of animals, I would say. Think to a moment recently when you really saw it working, that common thread or something falling into place for a child Mm -hmm. because of their time here. I feel like that's a gift that I've been given is that I've been able to see many children kind of grow and learn. But this one child that I worked with, I I had worked with him for actually a number of years. He just turned 18, actually, has his driver's license now. But I started working with him when he was, I think, in grade six. And so he would come to the farm from his school. He had some difficulties in school. He had um, like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So the, the classroom was not built for his brain. That's kind of how I say that sometimes and so he struggled kind of being in the classroom but when he came to the farm the strengths the amazing character that he has came out and he connected actually with this one horse rebel he's a very sensitive horse and um, he kind of comes across like he has he's kind of puffed out this horse and he'll he'll be like what are you doing on my farm and you know kind of like challenge you and stuff like that but really when you get to know him he is a loyal, dedicated, sensitive horse. And it was really cool because this kid met him and I shared the story of Rebel, how Rebel was the only horse that came to my farm that bared his teeth, that tried to kick, that tried to bite. And I was like, oh, geez, can I do animal assisted therapy with him? But then I realized it was actually about me. I was pushing 
this horse too fast and too quickly. So I, I wasn't being fair to this horse. So when I took a step back and built a relationship with Rebel, he's the most loyal horse you'll have. And this child was able to identify, ah, that's like me. I feel so much pressure when I'm in a classroom and all these things. But yet, you know, he realized he has all these strengths, just like Rebel does. Yeah. And, and he's actually graduated now. He's going in to become a vet tech. So it's really cool to see how he moved in that direction. And so much of it was just building his identity, loving all the great qualities about himself and realizing he's a fantastic kid with so much strengths. We talked a bit about how do you set prices when you're doing something that's helping and you could see how you could help someone, but you, you're weighing the accessibility mm-hmm. versus the value and, and your actual costs to run a farm, right. to, that you yeah. need to have enough money to, you know, feed your family. Yes. So yeah. how do you cost your work out or price your work out? How do you make your way forward with that? See, that is a hard one. Putting the right value to my service. Part of it was that there's a piece of me that wants to give service for free to everybody. I wish I could do that. A piece as well was probably my confidence. And in the beginning, when I started the program, I was like, well, you know, I don't want to be charging too much. But then I looked and I was charging half of what everyone else was charging. And I remember someone said to me, well, someone's going to like, you you need to charge what your value is, or people are going to think that you maybe aren't providing a great service because you're not charging well. So yeah, I've had to look at it from different angles and aspects for sure. Because a lot of times with this service, people might see it as just an hour counseling session that you're providing. So you might be charging a certain amount for that one hour, but it's not really that one hour. You're putting in like a lot of brainstorming before on how you're going to help this child. You're doing notes after a lot of collateral contacts and connecting with parent, then taking care of all the animals that are my coworkers. So there's a lot of bigger picture to it in terms of the cost piece. I would say it took me a couple of years to learn this. You have a real force of positivity. (laughs) It's great. Can you think about a moment when you were just like, oh man, this is like bumping against something that's tough because Mm -hmm. business can have twists and turns and cash flow problems or, you know, suddenly you can't get insurance for something Mm -hmm. or what kind of hit you from sideways and, and how did you get through it? So I remember when actually my children's story after I had written it, um, it was a year to two years in the making by the time you got all the artwork done and the story and all that. And I remember right before it was going to be released, I had this moment of, oh, what if it's not good enough? And, And that really linked back again to kind of growing up not necessarily feeling smart enough. I kind of do my quotes, right, as I'm saying that because we all know intelligence is so many in so many different aspects, but it hit a chord for me. It like really kind of hit a chord. And I was like, what if I'm not good enough? Right. And, and, and the reality is you're sharing a book with many, 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 many people and, and you are going to get some critiques to it. Right. So that was a tough thing that I had to kind of be like, okay, Lucy, I always say this to kids, just wash it off like a duck. Right. So I had to really go in there and prep myself and say, it's okay. If like, if not everybody's going to like this book, right? So that was a bit of a confidence piece I had to move through. Yeah. And I was able to, which was good. <laughs> you live and work in the same, mm-hmm. like I parked in the front. Mm-hmm. So there's your house, but there's actually a little office. Mm-hmm. And then there's all the animals and then there's the farm and then you're expanding. Mm-hmm. Can't forget to ask you about that. 
what's good work-life balance for you then? Mm, yes, yeah. Or do you even use that term? That, I know. Do you know how they say like a farmer, it's not really a job, it's a lifestyle? I would say similar in in my way of work too. It, it is very much a lifestyle. The boundaries that I have to put in are when I'm working with a child that's been through trauma and things like that. I need to consciously be able to either debrief with somebody or to be able to um, kind of let that go and and kind of shut down my day so I can be there for my kids and my partner. So yeah, it, it is very enmeshed in so many ways, but I, I think it's just consciously taking breaks. And also I, I say that, but I mean, the animals are a huge piece in terms of my debriefing, right? So um, my chores every night that I do at like nine o'clock at night, I spend half hour doing chores. That's probably my best, most mindful time where I feel like I just like, oh, all right, my day is done, right? But uh, yeah, it's consciously making boundaries, I think. Hmm. Mm-hmm. How old are your kids now? So I have a, a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and just turned two. Oh, yeah. wow. So she just turned two on Friday. She, she's a little monkey, though, I say. So <laughs> she has lots of energy. <laughs> How did you balance uh, being in business and having a, a little one again after that bigger gap? So I have to admit, pretty much from the moment I gave birth to my daughter, I remember actually being on the way to the hospital, calling parents, going, we're not going to be able to have this day camp today. <laughs> <laughs> but I was three weeks early. But um, yeah, I, th- I think within a week after giving birth, I was like working, but it was on my own terms. And that's where I think the difference is. I didn't feel pressured to work. It was like I was doing work because I, I enjoy that piece. And, um, and it was kind of on my own terms. I was able to create boundaries around it too. So tell me about your dream, mm. about the next step. Mm-hmm. And you gestured behind the building that we're in. Tell me what uh, what your vision is and, and how you feel that's going to unfold. It's pretty exciting. It's a little scary at the same time, but I think fear sometimes drives that energy for us, right? My business, the way it is designed is to always meet and wrap around the needs of the child. Um, that's just how I do counseling. So I'd love to have this like wellness center that has different aspects. So it has like an occupational therapist, a play therapist, an animal assisted therapist, and has different areas that you can help kids and end their needs. So I have this red barn vision in the back where there's going to be office spaces. I even have this vision that I want to be able to have some type of window that you can see Wilbert the pig in the middle of winter and he'll be in his little shelter outside there. <laughs> so you can still kind of interact with the animals and and have that connection, even if it's the middle of winter. So... <laughs> There's the vision. How close mm-hmm. do you feel you are? And and what's the next step towards that? I've created a business plan. I also was doing a market analysis recently. I did like a little bit of like a, a radius around St. Malo and realistically who would drive out for th- therapy services. How many kids do we have out there? How many kids do we have that may come for, for counseling services? Yeah, like basically just that market analysis of like who would be my client kind of thing. Would I have enough clients to facilitate having three or four staff, professional staff back there? It's that financial piece that's going to be probably my biggest barrier is how do I make this work financially? How do I get the money to create a barn? <laughs> So that's the first step mm-hmm. is, well, financing and you've done the marketing analysis. Mm-hmm. Do you know how far in the future this might be? Well, I have a year set. I want to be cutting the ribbon there like next summer. 
that's that's my goal. But again, I I am as you said earlier, I am a pretty positive thinker. So sometimes sometimes that can be a little unrealistic, but it drives me, right? So it's not a bad thing. Lots of businesses had to pivot or change mm-hmm. or rethink things with COVID. Mm-hmm. What happened for you? It did allow me to take a step back and kind of rethink how I provide services. So a lot of my service was like face-to-face right? <laughs> and especially with animals. And and there was certain periods in, in the COVID world that I, I couldn't provide that service. So then I started to think like, how can I still reach children and teens with the stories of the animals, but not necessarily at the farm? How can I recreate the farm for them? So because I had had like my children's story, Cindy and Christabel's Big Scare, I decided what I was going to do is kind of create programs from that. Um, So I created a parent and caregiver program for the Institute of Child Psychology. And then I also created this program called the Bean Me program. So it's like a eight session program. I get to go either into the school or um, the teacher or guidance counselor can access the program and teach it in the classroom. But it's very collaborative and interactive. It's not only teaching a child about what is anxiety, when is it normal, when is it a problem, when is it even a disorder. It's about actually teaching the parent and the caregiver about that too. Kind of like a toolkit with all these different sensory tools and and Wilbert the pig gets to teach it, right? Because he's he's the kind of mindful pig in my storybook that teaches the strategies about piggy belly breathing and how to be mindful and all those great things that kind of increase our mental health, right? So, mm-hmm. Do I get to meet Wilbur? Yes, you do. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> and he is pretty fantastic, okay. I have to say. <laughs> great. Thank you so much. And thanks for inviting me here to actually see the farm and to have this conversation with you. Thanks for coming. This is great. That's Lucy Sloan, the owner of Lil Steps Wellness Farm. And she is a tip for you if you were thinking about starting your own business. The biggest tip I would probably give someone launching their own business would be um, to go in it with a mentality that you will succeed. Don't even ask yourself the question that you're not going to, because it really is about your perspective in it. If you have the perspective and this and and the view that you'll do well and you'll succeed, that's how your brain's going to be thinking. You're going to be always thinking about how do I fix the problems that come along, because there will be. And how do I just keep moving forward? I think that's a piece is really your perspective and believing in yourself to be successful. You can find out more about Lil Steps Wellness Farm and the Being Me program launching this fall by heading over to www.lilstepswellnessfarm.net. That's L-I-L stepswellnessfarm.net. And... I did get to officially meet Wilbert the pig, and so can you. Check out WECM.ca for pictures, videos, and the link to a brand new documentary about Lucy's innovative wellness work with youth. You are listening to Here's How It's Done, brought to you by the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba. The centre offers a business plan course, financing, and more. And if you are a female entrepreneur who owns a business in Manitoba beyond Winnipeg's Perimeter Highway, check out the Women's Centre's Strength in Community programming happening this fall. You can subscribe to this podcast through your favourite podcast app. 
If you are interested in more stories about enterprising women who launched their businesses because life threw up an unexpected roadblock, I recommend the very first episode of Here's How It's Done. It's called You've Got This. And also the third episode that features the owner of Evolve Green. Theme music is by Peter McIsaac. Additional music written and recorded by Charlotte Friesen. And this episode was mastered by Madeline Roger and produced by me. Until next time, I'm Kate Friesen. Thanks so much for listening.